0: Hello, this is Rich, Richard C. Wilson, founder of the Family Office Club, and welcome to the Family Office Podcast. Uh, today we have with us uh, John from uh, Pinnacle Self Storage. And I want to have John here on the podcast. We've had many multifamily groups, and we have not had, we've had a couple of mobile home park groups even. And I can't remember if we've even had one self storage group here on the podcast out of 250 episodes. So I thought we probably should. Uh, I've gotten to know Pinnacle Storage Properties and uh, their teams have came to some female office club events now. We've also, through our uh, debt origination division, uh, worked on three or four deals with their team. We're working on a few more. Um, so welcome here to the podcast, John.
1: Thank you. I feel special being the only self-storage guy ever on your show. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> great. Yeah, well, I want to talk about you know what you guys have been uh, doing a great job on. You have a lot of momentum. A lot of investment firms take a decade to get the momentum that you've had in the past four or five years so i just want to jump on that because i'm just personally curious and just to brag for you a little bit you guys have closed on 20 assets you're closing on 21 you've got seven more on your radar coming uh you have over a million rentable square feet of self-storage now and this is all just in four or five years right yeah uh,
1: march uh, 15th will be four years
0: Okay. Four years. Right. Not even four years. Not
1: even four years.
0: Right. So many, many sponsors, and we talk to hundreds and hundreds of them per year have been around for four to seven years and they're closing on two to four deals per year. Uh, You're at a faster clip in little or the same amount of time. So what's been the, what's been your secret sauce? If you want to give that away to everyone here on the podcast, (laughs) Uh, I'd love to hear kind of uh, how you've done this.
1: Well, you know, they they say every uh, overnight success takes a long period of time, right? Sure. So, um, I mean, I've been in storage for, this is my 15th year. So it's really been laying the groundwork for mm-hmm. those 15 years. Um, you know, I, I started with Uncle Bob's, which is now Life Storage as a district manager, got promoted to regional vice president. I always say I, I learned how to run them there. Then I went on board as the COO of the Jenkins organization in Houston, Texas. So I learned how to buy them and fix them up there.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and if you add all of that up, this being my 15th year, there was you know 11 years between those two of building a network of people in the self-storage industry that I know that I've dealt with, that feel comfortable with us as well as us feel comfortable with them.
2: So
1: so how we've been able to do it simply put is getting our name out there and, and building a machine of people that we like, trust and respect. And that, that comes from our internal team to our external team and, you know, complimenting somebody like yourself, you know, when I met you, I got along with you really easily. You're our kind of guys, you know. You're you're what I call the grinders of that industry. That that you're not afraid to get your hands dirty, and that's that's the people we are. But then what we did is we built a marketing machine behind it. So, mm-hmm. um, using a CRM, um, you know, kissing a lot of babies, collecting a lot of data from those people that you meet and then putting them in your database and then educating them to why storage is a great investment. And nine times out of 10 is a better investment than say single family or multifamily. So it's, it's continually building that marketing machine that also is backed with real information. It's not just, like I said, Said at your last conference, it's not just the sizzle. You know, you got to give them the steak too. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, that's how we built momentum. So we've Great. got we've got people out there finding deals for us. Um, we got people out there introducing us to debt people, equity people. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And then a lot of the people that are on our existing team I've worked with for many many years.
0: Great, that makes sense. Um, what about, you know, people complain about low cap rates, they complain about things being overpriced, they complain about, you know, a lot of money chasing few deals. Uh obviously when you have a reputation and people know you'll actually close, you don't have to have the highest bid in the market. I know that. Obviously, when you have momentum, you start getting referrals first or earlier from brokers who know they can make their money faster by giving it to you versus uh the new sponsor on the block who doesn't have credibility or the random mom and pop buyer. So I know those two things are probably going on for you, but what else is driving your ability to find good deals and get good returns in this market while other people complain about it?
1: My pretty face. No. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um so you named all the stuff that I would probably name, but Okay. But I'm I'm gonna take it a step further. Is um so um my one brother. James woke up six months ago and finally realized what I was doing, and he said, "You know I want to be part of that so so he's out there cold calling owners now, trying to find if they want to sell their property so nice. Um, I have a business partner on a marketing company out of Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. her name is Christina alvino, and her dad is out calling owners. So, I mean, you hear a lot about these owners are getting peppered with people every single day. But we buy buy under-managed, under-enhanced, under-expanded self-storage properties. And Mm -hmm. if you listen to the noise in the industry or in the media, you're right. There is a lot of money chasing storage. Right. But it's a lot of money at the top chasing storage. There's there's only about eight or 10 companies, excuse me, in the United States that do what we do. we what I call us being the middle traders. So we buy that mom and pop that's not run right, that hasn't had any capital improvements in 15 years, that. Might have a little piece of land that goes along with it, or that has a bunch of hair on it. Um, and we're patient enough to work through those things to make it a sure. class A property that those people with the big money are chasing. So, so the momentum we've built has been because we have a niche that the big money doesn't want to do. You know, um, sure. I give an example. We bought a property in Austin that the survey didn't match the plat. Mm-hmm. So we made a cash offer on that property. The realized that something was wrong. So we extended the contract so that the seller could fix it, not so that we could fix it. So then we could buy it once it was fixed. Now that we've done that, and closed on that property in about a five month time frame. we've had $4,000 worth of revenue every month to that property, just through mm-hmm. operations. We haven't done, we, we fixed it all up from a repair and maintenance standpoint, painted it, lights, gates, all that kind of stuff, office remodel, but we haven't even done the expansion on it yet. And we've already added $4,000 a month. So right. When you look at it from that standpoint, the big money players like the REITs, they don't want to go through all that pain and they're not going to buy. They, they want the cash flow. They don't want all the work associated with the cash. flow.
0: I see. I see. Okay. So you guys kind of playing, you know, half step under the radar of some of the institutional groups you are willing to roll up your sleeves, you know, figure out more messy situations and you can spot because of your experience some, operational improvements that those that are sitting in their ivory towers of allocating institutional capital at $50 million chunks at a time have never seen, you know, the types of issues that you have solved, you know, as kind of boots on the ground over the last 15 years, basically you're saying, right.
1: That is exactly correct.
0: Right. So, um, what, if someone's listening to this and say, you know what, I like self storage, but I want to find a sponsor, you know, in Hong Kong or I want to find someone in Australia or, you know, San Diego, et cetera, uh, whether or not they're meeting with you, you know, what's the smartest question that an investor could ask a self storage sponsor to really cut through a lot and kind of see if they really have the goods, if they really know their stuff, um, or what's a question that almost nobody asks you and they should be, um, or, you know, something that would help an investor who's kind of trying to be more smart and making sure that uh, they're making a solid investment.
1: So it's, it's funny you ask that, Richard, because I, I get a lot of questions like that in in different ways. And the, the best advice I give them is find somebody that knows how to operate these things is one of the things about this industry versus, let's say, retail or um, office or medical office is you got you know triple nets, let's say. Um, when it comes to managing a triple net property, like in retail, there's, there's an asset management piece of that that also coincides with the property management piece of it. But in this particular industry of self-storage, it's actually an operating business inside of a real estate play. Where in your triple nets, it's really not an operating business inside of the triple net, uh, inside of the real estate play. It's really a real estate play. So you you might have cam and you might have um, things like that. But when it comes to marketing a five year lease, it's totally different than signing a 30 day lease like we have and marketing to a general consumer. Like it would be like owning the the yogurt store inside of your retail plaza. Mm-hmm. And you're using the yogurt store's revenue to pay for the retail plaza. Um, so the advice I give everybody is it doesn't have to be us, but go so, find somebody that knows what they're doing in storage because in storage, there's a lot of validity to having a strong operator that operates that facility for you. Sure, And partner with them. Don't just hire them as third-party management. Mm-hmm. In third-party management, they don't care for your money as much as you care for their money. Well, if I'm a partner right. with you, I'm going to care for that money a lot more than just making a small $1,500 or $2,000 fee every month. So right. Go find somebody who knows what they're doing in storage partner with them and then do deals with them is the best I can give anybody trying to get into the storage.
0: Sure. That's great. Okay. And then, um, you know, you guys are growing pretty quickly. So what's the next stage? What's the next kind of plateau that you're aiming to get to, or what are you looking to get done in order to get you to that next stage?
1: It's interesting. You asked that because, you know, when, when we were two properties, everybody looked at us totally differently than when you're 20 properties, right? So, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've actually woke up four years later and people go, you have how many stores? And I you go, yeah, 20. And they're like, when <laughs> did that happen? <laughs> right. So, um, so we've gotten a lot more attention from a lot different type of equity and different type of debt. And um, and bluntly, we, we like the uh, friends and family type of equity and the friends and family type of debt, meaning your local type of banks versus institutional. But our next step is to find a, an institutional player with an entrepreneurial m- mindset, both on the equity side and on the debt side. And I got to give mm-hmm. you guys credit. you guys have brought that to the table on the debt side. And being able to um, source that equity to match that debt that we've been able to find will truly take us to the next level. So let's call it a $10 million fund of funds that syndicates each deal, simple LLC, but they invest in the deal based on XYZ criteria It would allow us to move faster, it would allow us to pay cash for them, which would give us better pricing. We've already got the machine running and running well. Now it's a matter of having better buying power by having a family office that has an entrepreneurial mindset that invests in us as a team with what we've already created so that it's not as institutional and as restrictive as a lot of the institutional money is, so our next step is finding that call it ten or twenty million dollar fund that allows us to go out and buy you know fifty million dollars worth of storage and and you know add double in size to what we are right now, add another ten to fifteen properties to our portfolio we we've We've got them in the pipeline it's a matter of matching up that equity. Matching up the debt and and allowing us to move a lot faster, so it's not as sure to raising it. I mean, right now we raise it at fifty thousand dollar units, and we kiss a lot of babies to do that. If we if we had different type of entrepreneurial family office, we wouldn't have to kiss as many babies, and we could move faster.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems to be. Uh, you know, some people always keep that retail channel open, but most want to. Uh, also open kind of the family office or institutional channel Of the next couple of steps is kind of the natural prog- progression of things. Um, so I wanted to also, you know, if you think back over the meetings you've had with investors um, telling the story about how you've grown the platform and some of your past experience uh, that gave you the experience to actually, you know, get 20 properties under your belt in four years, what would be like one of your number one insights or takeaways or lessons learned that you could share that you know typically it comes up at these investor meetings when you're trying to kind of drive home either your operational excellence or that you know industry operator experience you have so i'm guessing your answer is somewhat related to that depth of operating you know experience but um what, what would be the number one lesson or insight that you could share
1: um bluntly it's we got a great team and i got great partners i mean you've met them all so um, we're very well balanced. Um, so, I personally am the extreme extrovert of the group. I'm the one that is the face to to raise money and mm-hmm. to, and to run operations. Um, Robbie Dunn is the middle guy. He's uh, like straight down the fairway of uh, extrovert versus introvert. He does all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So he does anything dealing with a contract. Um, he deals with lawyers, title company, banks, all that kind of stuff. So I always say Robbie's the letters guy, and I'm the numbers guy. And then you have huh? Eric, who is the, um, he's the extreme introvert of the group, very technical thinker, where I am the big picture thinker. Um, but he does i call him the hammer because he does all the construction related stuff and okay and on top of that he's six four, two hundred and twenty-five 225 pounds so um, <laughs> he's a big boy on top of that so when you look at it from that standpoint we're very well balanced internally and then you add the rest of the team with kurt and ross and scott as the as the vp of finance and ronnie and bookkeeping and pat the operations coordinator you cast See the regional vice president. You add all of those people to the mix that complement our weaknesses, and we've built a pretty badass team. And that's really like when I talk to investors, you're you're investing in the team, and it's a great team. I mean, as partners, we get along well. Mm-hmm. We call our kids ugly all the time, and it, you know we don't go away <laughs> hurt feelings. You know. The goal is to be the best. So, so I talk a lot about the team. Like if you ever came here, like when our investors come to our office, they get to meet the machine, everybody. We had investor show right. up this afternoon that's a $50,000 guy. And he literally met all 13 people on the team and now understands <laughs>
0: what do. Right, right. And what city are you based in just so uh, so people can keep that in mind?
1: So we're outside
0: of Houston and in Katy, Texas. Okay. Okay. Great. And uh, just so everyone listening knows, um, we're not hired to market this company. We're not hired as their capital raiser. You know, we're helping them on some uh, debt origination stuff and they, they come to our family office club events. But, um, you know, meeting face-to-face is always a good idea with anyone you're even thinking of investing in. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, just have a phone call and, and don't visit the offices. But I think it's a critical step to really see how the team operates do they even have a formal office you know when you show up is the office empty you know or are there six or 12 people there or you know, no other the type of people you can trust you know many times you can tell more meeting in person for three minutes than you can on a phone call for 20 minutes and uh nowadays with everyone so busy i just think the engagement level is so much higher when you meet in person obviously so um great well i appreciate you sharing all that john um That wraps up the questions I had for today, and definitely I look forward to seeing you at one of our events coming up. Was there anything else you wanted to fit into this uh, podcast recording, though, before we say goodbye?
1: No, I I appreciate everything you guys do for us, and um, I will see you in San Francisco on the 26th of February.
0: Great. Yep. I'll see you in just under a month. Take care.
1: I think think Robbie's going to see you on Thursday in Dallas.
0: That's right. Yep. Tower club is Thursday in Dallas. That's right. The thirtieth of thirtieth uh, of January. Great. I look forward to that.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Bye.